Now, there's a few house cleaning things. Um, I'm not, I don't know if it was the lack of sleep or perhaps the superabundance of Turkish coffee I was drinking, but I had planned to preach uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 34 today. Uh, that, is, that is too many. That is way too many. Yes, yes. Um, I just this morning decided to cut this. This is one of those things I can do now into two sermons. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, trust me, it was getting a little tedious by the time I got to about verse 19. So today, it's actually, if you have your um, the bulletin, it says the parable of the kingdom, and that actually is next week's sermon. So uh, I, I apologize to the Chekos who do all this hard work, but you're ahead. You're ahead for next week. <laughs> so today it's called, the sermon is called the parable of the hearers. The parable of the hearers. And all we're going to do is verses 1 through 20. And then next week we'll do 21 through 34. So I'm going to read the text, and then we'll pray together. This is what it says in Mark chapter one, beginning at verse, or chapter four, beginning at verse one. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, "Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow." And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold. And a hundredfold. Now, verses one through thirty-four are really just about one thing. Uh, this is this is why my writing this sermon, even the sermon itself, is a parable about this parable. <laughs> this whole thing is about this. God says things, and people either say, "I don't understand that," and they walk away, or they say, "I don't understand that," and they walk towards Him. That's it. That's what this whole thing is about. There's just two hearers. You either hear and go away, or you hear and come closer. <laughs> Okay, now I'm done. No. Once you get into this, though, what I've discovered is like, okay, well, I'll just explain this little part here, and then I'll explain this little part here. And, 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 and the further you get, the more questions you have. 
Well, you know, why, why isn't he tilling the ground before he's putting the seed on it? Why, why are these different soils to blame for being soils? They're just soils. How does he find fault with them? There's all kinds of questions that arise. And, and so here in this sermon, we are either going to do one of two things. Say, okay, well, that's really confusing, and we're going to stop listening. Or we're going to say, well, that's really confusing, and we're going to listen really carefully. That is what the parable is about. That's what the sermon about the parable is about. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that separates and divides. We thank you for your word that is always working on us, because you are always working on us, because you are, in fact, our loving Father, who will complete what you have begun in us. We thank you for this morning, for your um, the, this service in which you minister to us in exactly the way that we need. We pray, Lord God, that as we open the word this morning, that you would in fact give us ears to hear, that we would in fact listen, and by listening, that we would become more like your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. The path of Jesus is lonely. It's a lonely, lonely path. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But there were others who were prepared to risk the wrath of the official Judaism by going to Jesus outside of the camp. We heard from Luke. I like that arrangement of these verses because you see a little bit um, in, in that arrangement how what the context of this arrangement is. Did you notice in Luke that section ended with Jesus' family coming to him and being all confused? Well, we, we covered that in Mark in the last sermon. At the end of three, they have that little section. So you can see that that whole idea there where Jesus is defining a new family, a new Israel, by those who obey the will of God is still the context in which these parables are told. There are some people who hear what he says and are willing to give up their families, to give up being respectable Jews, to go out and be on this lonely path with him. Jesus has abandoned the synagogue. He's rejected He's rejected by his family and the religious leadership. And so he is forming a new family, a new Israel in the wilderness. He is the outlaw king, the swashbuckling folk hero, the rejected cornerstone upon which the father now builds a new house. Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. That was the calling in his day. That is the calling still. Are you willing to leave the comfortable respectability that you now possess to go out into the wilderness and join him? Because it's, it's a lonely way. It's a hard way. It's a confusing way. It's, it's a way in which he says, you know, the, the last shall be first. Lay down your life so that you can live. And, and, and people hear this, and what do they do? They go away. They go completely away from him, or they go towards him. What kind of hearer are you? What kind of hearer are you? Only two chapters in the entire Gospel of Mark depart from the narrative format. Only twice does he stop telling a story to include large blocks of Jesus' teaching. And this is the first one, chapter 4, 
chapter 4, he's telling this nice story. It's clipping right along. And then all of a sudden, he stops telling a story to record for us a lot of things that Jesus taught. Because up till now, what, what has he taught? The story has been about him going around from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, wilderness to wilderness, teaching. But it doesn't at any point tell us what he's teaching. Simply, right, in 1, 14 and 15, it says, this, this is the extent of the teaching. <laughs> Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Well, I'm sure that he said more than that. But Mark is not concerned overly with what he taught. Hmm. That's interesting. And here, <laughs> Mark is a genius at, at, at writing this gospel, because now what he's going to do is he's going to stop, and he's not just recording what Jesus taught so that, oh, hey, by the way, I kind of forgot that in chapter 1, and so I'm just going to squeeze it in here in, in chapter 4. Hopefully that makes sense. No, he's letting Jesus... And his word explained to us everything that's come up to this point. What happened in chapter 1, 2, and 3? Well, Jesus is now going to tell some weird stories and explain to us everything that's happened in chapter 1, 2, and 3. This lengthy discourse, um, verses 1 through 34, are bracketed by these two ideas. He speaks to them in many parables. It says that in verse 2, and it says it in verse 33. Okay, so we have this little section that just is now stuck in the middle of this narrative, and it's all about parables. In fact, in verse 33, it says, at this point, he, for the rest of the gospel, he doesn't talk to anyone unless he talks to them in parables. 35% of his recorded words are parables. 35%. That is a lot. Why is he doing that? Jesus had used parables in arguing with his critics and his enemies. Remember, he referred to himself as a physician. He also referred to the new salvation as new wineskins and new cloth. He's already been speaking parabolically. But now what he's doing is instead of just making these sort of offhanded parabolical statements, he's telling stories. The Son of God came into the world to tell stories. And those stories either make sense to you or they don't, and he doesn't care much if they don't. He doesn't care much if they don't. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought the whole thing was to attract as many people as possible. Apparently it's not. Apparently it's not. He does not mind saying something hard and leaving it at that. From this point on, whenever he speaks, he speaks to crowds in parables specifically. Now, this section that we have here is very, very, very interesting. It's another one of those Mark and sandwiches. There's a story going on, and then Mark drops another story right in the middle of it. So Jesus is speaking in parables, and then he, ha- he has this moment where his, uh, his followers take him aside, right, and, and ask him some questions, and then he goes on speaking parables. Well, it's very clear that the part where he's, they're asking him what is he talking about was from later on, and Mark is just inserting it here in the midst of these other parables, okay, because the, the flow of it is kind of hunky-clunky. He's going along, he's speaking to a big crowd, and then he's talking to just a private group, and then he's speaking to a big crowd again. And at the end of the chapter, we have the Jesus is is still in the boat. Chapter 4 begins with him in a boat. It ends with him in a boat. So clearly all of that is, right? Mark is is cutting and pasting. (laughs) Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? The parables are specifically designed to sift the wheat from the chaff among his hearers. Here is an unusual teacher. His parables are designed to test rather than to illuminate. 
and, the, and to test not the intelligence, but the spiritual responsiveness of his hearers. It's not an IQ test. It's not a, hey, did you pass, get your PhD in Bible test. It's a, are you humble test. Are you awake to the things of God test. That's what these parables are about, and that's what they're still about. Other teachers might rejoice when great crowds follow them. I would, <laughs> but not Jesus. He doesn't care, right? And at this point, what is the crowd, this large crowd that's followed around, has it been a good, good for him or bad for him, right? They, they, were, they were so thick that he couldn't eat. He can't get enough sleep. The crowd doesn't really care much about his health. But, but he knows what's in the heart of man. He's not deceived by large crowds. And, and who amongst us, though, would, would, would react this way? If you suddenly were like the most popular guy at work and you had people fawning all over you and following you around and listening to everything you had to say and all your folksy charm and wisdom, wouldn't we all be a little swayed by that, thinking that we're some hot stuff? Jesus is like, no, this crowd is too big. So what I got to do is now pare it down a little bit. There are too many people following me. But again, wait a minute, I thought the idea was to, of the Christian faith was to attract as many people as possible. What he does here, I'm reminded of in, in the Old Testament, <laughs> where God is going to go and take on the Philistines, and he, so he gathers this army, and he realizes the army is too big. He's like, nobody's going to believe that it was me who did this when I have an army this big. And so he, he begins to separate out and make the army smaller and smaller and smaller. At this point, that is what Jesus is doing. He doesn't want a huge following. He wants a small following, because he wants a small following who gets it, not a large following who doesn't get it. The parable of the sower is the first extended parable of which we have a full explanation. It stands in all three synoptic gospels at the head of a series of parables. In a sense, this parable is the key to all the other parables, for it deals with our reception of all of Jesus' teaching. He says in verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? If you want to understand any parable, 35% of what Jesus taught, you have to understand the parable of the sower. If you don't understand that parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables. And, and I'm, he himself says it. If you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of them. That's why it's the only one he explains. So far, it's the only parable he's going to actually explain to us what it means because it's, right? He, and he says, listen, hear, pay attention. If you get this, you get everything else that I'm going to say. The response of the disciples and the crowds that we have seen up to this point, the failure of men to appreciate what the coming of Jesus means, the plan of the scribal authorities and leaders of the people to destroy Jesus, the accusation that he has formed an alliance with Satan, all define the climate of unbelief in which Jesus has moved. His words are seeds that have fallen in very different kinds of soil, and he has been received very differently by different kinds of hearers. The parable at this point illuminates the narrative, right? This is Jesus commenting on everything that's happened by telling this story. What has been going on? Casting out demons, going to this synagogue and that synagogue, being accused of this and that, being accused by my family. What is all of that about? Well, he's saying he's gone out and he's cast seeds. And the different kinds of soil have produced different kinds of fruit. And that's what you've seen here. All of this stuff is about this. There are different kinds of hearers. Not everyone hears me in the same way. 
Now, this is where we have to listen carefully. Verse 3, Jesus says, listen, <laughs> listen. Now, the Greek word for obey and the Greek word for hear are actually have the same root. They're the same word. But obey has a prefix on it. That means hyper. So in Greek, when you say obey something, what you're actually saying is hyper listen to it. Really listen to it. Don't just listen to it. Listen to it. Don't just hear it. Really hear it. And, and what do we usually associate obey with? Action. If you hear something and you don't do something, you didn't really hear what was said. Now, if you hear the words of Jesus Christ and then you do something, you've really heard them. If you hear the words of Jesus Christ and you do nothing, you didn't really hear him. That is really, really important at this point. Right? I, oh, I listen to him. I listen to him all the time. Okay, what did you do? You heard the sermon. So then you went out and you did what? You picked up your Bible in the morning and you read it. Right? You heard him. Okay, so then what did you do differently? Well, nothing. There's nothing I have to do differently. I don't think you really heard him. I don't think you really heard him. This is a very important idea. Okay? Hearing him is not simply something that we do sitting on our butts passively. Hearing him is something that we do with our feet and with our hands. Hearing him is action. Now, each type of soil hears the word but reacts differently. All the soils, none of the soils in the end can say, oh, I didn't really hear you. No, he casts the seed. There's really seeds in his hands, which are the word of God, and he throws them out. And they go and they fall on all the kinds of soil. So we know for sure that none of the soils later can say, well, I never actually received any seeds. At the very beginning, we're told that they do. What kind of hearing you are doing is the theme. Right? This, this is a parable not about seeds. It's not a par parable necessarily about soils. It's about hearers. That's what we're really talking about. What kind of hearer are you? The, the command to hear concludes the parable of the lamp later on. Okay, this, this, is, this idea about hearing and listening carefully is a theme that runs throughout this entire section. In verse 23 and verse 24... Jesus himself says, listen, hear, listen carefully. Okay, this is something that he really, really wants us to understand. The discourse concludes with the summary statement that Jesus spoke the word to them in many parables as they were able to hear, right? So this, he's telling this parable about seeds and soil, and, and he's in, while he's doing it, he's, he's enacting it. He's living it out. It's not just a story. Right through this whole section, he's throwing the seeds all over the place, and those, right, the, those who heard heard according to the kind of soil they were. So it's not just this cute story; it's actually what he's doing. Now, before we explain it any further, let's just step back for a moment and look at some interesting details at this point. If you've been keeping score in these sermons on Mark, there's a lot of things here in the first few verses of chapter four that are fascinating. Fascinating. Jesus is teaching the entire crowd. But in the closing scene, a split has occurred among the hearers. So in the beginning of chapter 4, he's got this huge audience, his followers and a bunch of strangers. At the end, what we're going to have are two, two groups. 
people that he's speaking to and people he's explaining things to. And those are two very different groups, and they're not the same size. The ones he's preaching at are huge. The one who he's explaining things to is very small. Jesus has abandoned the synagogues. He's no longer teaching there. He's out in the open. He is in the wilderness. He is teaching them from a boat, which we know from earlier, they prepared a boat for him because the crowds were too big. It's easier for him to stand in a boat a little way from shore, right, just far enough out in the water where nobody's going to swim out to him (laughs) so that he can address them and not be interrupted. He can address them and not be mauled. He can address them and not be stamped to death. He, He wants a little distance from this crowd. Uh, That's a far cry from big-time preachers these days, right? He wants a little space from them. He knows what's in man. No one needs to tell him what's in man. No one needs to tell them that there in that crowd are a bunch of people with a bunch of mixed motives. He gets it. There are those outside, hearts and ears, on whom his word has fallen in vain. And there is an inside, those who have heard his word and are, are asking him questions about what it means. Okay, this is, this is how this whole chapter opens up for us. You see themes from before, you, and you see them carrying on now in different directions. Now, let's talk about the sower for a moment. The three different verbs describing the differing failures, okay, the seed has been thrown out. And then what we're going to have is we're going to talk about fruit, right? Now, who is the person doing the sowing? Well, it's God. And what is he sowing? His word. And that word that is, he scatters out yields different amounts of fruit. The three different verbs describing the differing failures, ate in 4.4, withered in 4.6, and choked in 4.7, are matched by three verbs describing the fruitfulness of the success of the seed in good soil. In verse 8, it says it came up, it grew, and it produced a crop. Right? So you've got a farmer, and he's got both success and failure. That's interesting itself. Not everything that God do, does is he expecting a return. He's got failure and he's got success together in the same field. The good soil facilitates the growing, increasing, and yielding of much fruit. Now, tenfold was considered a good crop. I, I don't understand in our day what is considered a good crop, but if you take seed and you scatter it in their day and you get ten times it back, that's considered pretty good. Now, when, when Jesus describes a good yield here, he doesn't even start with 10. He starts with 30. Right? Because he gives, right? when he, he the good farmer, when he sends his, his seed out, when he is the one taking care of the field, you're going to get a lot more than, than man, by man's standards. And this we see in Genesis 26, 12 through 13. In that case... One of the patriarchs plants seeds, and he gets a hundredfold, and they're like, oh, well, God must be with you, because nobody gets that kind of return, right? So have you ever made an investment in a house or in a stock market, God forbid, <laughs> and you've gotten more than the, right, the common return? Now, do you usually stop and think, man, I am really blessed by God? Or, right, I even did this one time. I don't know anything about anything when it comes to economics. But one time I bought gold, and it did really well, and I thought, man, I am awesome. So I bought more gold, and I lost all the money, right? Because, <laughs> but, but, but how often do we get a, a huge return on something, and we think, it, we think it's our business savvy? 
right? But, but when you get an, an above average return, it's not because you're a genius. It's because God loves you. And he, he, he's, well, he's either fattening the calf for slaughter, which is a sermon for another day, or he's blessing you beyond what you can possibly imagine. The parable by itself has no meaning. It's just a story. Okay? It's not, there's no farmer in the Old Testament that he's talking about. None of the disciples were this farmer. It's just a story that he makes up that has in itself no meaning. A farmer goes out to sow and meets with some failure and some success. It's very common. Its real significance lies in its revelation of what's really been going on in Mark chapter 1 through 3. The parable of the sower explains Jesus' lack of success in his mission. He's like, hey, right, you've been reading the story. I I haven't exactly been the most successful farmer at this point, but let me explain. (laughs) Not all the soil that I've been putting these seeds in are good. Sowing is a metaphor for God's work. God promises to sow Israel. In the Old Testament, this is a huge, huge deal. He, He talks this way all the time. He is the farmer who's going to come and plant a new crop. In Jeremiah 31, 27 through 28, it reads, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that I, that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. This parable, this idea, is found in Hosea and Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to, he's going to scatter seeds and he's going to farm Israel. Now, this goes to show the ignorance of all the people that he has been dealing with at this point because nobody considers this a messianic idea. Because the Messiah in the minds of Israel is all about warfare and conquest and winning um, land and conquering land. It's not, I mean, a farmer, that, that's not, no, that's too gentle, right? That's too agrarian. That has nothing to do with the Messiah. And, and this just goes to demonstrate this whole concept. Jesus is speaking in a way where the, those who truly get it, get it. And those who don't, don't. Now, and then there's a lot of people who don't, though. And then within that group, you either have people who say, okay, wait, explain more. What are you talking about? Or people who think, man, that guy must have a demon. That guy is a troublemaker. I don't care what he did about the leprosy. I don't care what he did about the withered hand. The guy clearly has no idea what he's talking about. And, and this, this is what Jesus has been, has been dealing with for three chapters, that exact kind of response. The whole of the Christian life is one of continual and progressive response to fresh spiritual revelation. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the overcluttered heart, and the good heart. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the overcluttered heart, and the good heart. I'm going to make this point as clear as I can. Jesus isn't going, right, the sower in this story is not going up and down the road to a bunch of foreign farms throwing seeds around. He's in his own farm. Right, this is not, <laughs> this is not a parable <laughs> about God doing street evangelism. This is a parable about a, a man farming his own field. 
And what have we seen? He goes from synagogue to synagogue, and within the people of God, what do you have? You have the hard heart and the shallow heart, the overcluttered heart and the good heart. And sitting here today, we have the hard heart and the shallow heart and the overcluttered heart and the good heart. And, and if you think this story is a story about like, well, you know, you're either one or the other and there's no hope for you, no. Misapplication. Misapplication. It, this whole thing, the, the reason partially I, don't, I didn't want to do it all by itself, I wanted to do all the parables together, is because later when he talks about the lamp and he goes on to talk about other seeds that grow up, Right, the, the mustard seed that becomes this huge tree that all the birds rest in. It's because in the day in which he's living, there's a direct application of this where, you know, you guys are, like I said before, you get so much grace and then there's no more hope. But here now, whatever kind of heart you have, there's two ways of dealing with it. That's nonsense and you go away or you say that's, yeah, Yes, I have a shallow heart. I have an overcluttered heart. And, and you come forward. Right? There's a historical context to this, but there's a reason that, <laughs> that Jesus wanted this story recorded, this, this parable recorded in all of the Gospels. He has a field, and he is a good farmer. He is sowing seeds. And just because you're in his, right, just, oh, soil in God's farm must be the best kind of soil. Well, well, no, that's not true. Any farm that you go to, you've got the, right, you've got the hard ground up by the house, right, all the different kinds of soils that he explains here. You have those in any given field. To assume always that you're, right, oh, I'm the, I must be the, I'm like that dark soil, you know, that grows the really good bread. <laughs> to just assume that is part of the problem. Because then what will happen if you just assume all the time, well, I've got it figured out, I'm planted in God's field, I'm good. You come to church, you hear hard sayings, and you're like, eh, eh, whatever. I've reformed my life is about as far as I'm going to reform it. Right? I know about as much as I need to know. Well, um, when's the last time God actually scattered some seed in your life? Uh, you know, a while ago. I, I hear the word at church. Okay, well, do you obey it? Do you listen to it? I mean, do you actually change? No. What, what kind of soil is that? You could be in the king's field all day long, but if you're bad soil, you're bad soil. A long obedience in the same direction. Every week, you should be hearing something that, that challenges you. Every week, right? It doesn't, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with how good I'm doing at preaching this or not, because it's the word of God. Is it confronting you? Is, is, is it causing you to wonder and think, wait, what? <laughs> what did he just say? His family, the family of God, the family of Jesus are those who obey the revealed will of God the Father. Obey the revealed will. Right now, it's easy, right? How many times have you guys heard this parable? How many times? Oh, the one about the seeds and the sower. Yeah, I've heard that. And then you go on autopilot. 
It's easy to do. I thought that I could just knock out 34 verses of preaching because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, it's fine. Whatever. It's easy. Is the word of God a seed that's replanted and replanted and replanted? Right? Because this thing is full. It's this bag. Just imagine just an enormous bag the size of the church itself. And every week, every day when you sit down and read it, God is taking out another handful and casting those seeds out. Because he's trying to grow a crop in your life. Right? Because what does he want? He wants fruit. And who is fruit for? It's not for you. Cherry trees don't grow cherries for the cherry tree. Right? All of this stuff is connected. It's... We, we are far too satisfied with far too little. Far too satisfied with far too little. Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, but he explained all things privately to his own disciples. Mark is clearly inserting a later episode into the midst of this parable discourse. He places the later scene in the midst of this section to make a point. Mark is arranging his material with a distinct purpose. Parables do not always make something obscure clearer. That's not actually their point. Well, I, I, right? I mean, I read some of these books, and it's amazing how, right? I thought there were these nifty little illustrations that just make everything crystal clear. Uh, no. Okay, if you think that's what a parable is, you, you really need to stop and come talk to me even. We'll, we'll talk about some of the things that Jesus says about parables, because... They are not, if you think you read it in in one go and understand it, then you're not reading them correctly. And if you don't understand this one about the sower, you don't understand any of them. Parables do not always make things obscure, clearer. They can befuddle. Jesus' followers will come to inquire of him what he means. How one responds to Jesus' teaching determines whether one is an insider or an outsider, whether one will be fruit-bearing or unfruitful, understanding or perplexed. His word is always hard to understand. It's always hard to understand. Well, what about that doctrine that we have with the funny word? Perpiscuity or something like that? The clarity of Scripture, right? My eight-year-old reads it and to a certain extent understands it. Yes, that's true. If you can read, you can read the Bible and understand it. And, and, and that's true, right? right? My, my five-year-old can explain salvation. Oh, well, Jesus came and died for us because we needed a Savior, because we're fallen. Okay, excellent, great. So explain to me how in the Old Testament then... God comes to the nation of Israel and he says, okay, I want you to go into that city and I want you to kill every man, woman, and child. I want you to take the pregnant women out on a cliff and throw them on the, on the rocks. Explain how that is the same God that Jesus is. Um, well, couldn't you just ask me how many animals were on Noah's Ark? <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I don't in any way want to make it seem like Understanding the Bible is only for a select few. But we're going to go back. Everything that Jesus says is hard. Everything. Right? On one level, it's easy. It's easy enough for a child to understand. But it's complicated enough to where people keep filling seminaries trying to understand it. It does both at the same time. Do you know why? 
because he wants people to come near him and he wants them to sit down in front of him and he wants to have a relationship with you where he's constantly having to grow you up. If you read God's word and it is not hard, you're not reading it correctly. If you are reading it and it's not in some sense befuddling to you, you're not reading it correctly. Right? And, and, and there are things, I, I'm going to make some examples here, but there are things I don't understand myself. I don't. And, and this one I'm going to explain, I've actually asked a university professor, I actually wrote an email to Peter Lightheart saying, hey, listen, there's this part I don't understand. Could you please explain it to me? And he said, you know, we'll figure it out in heaven. And it was this. <laughs> right? Moses is, is on his way back to the promised land, and his wife comes, Okay, meets him there, and then God comes to kill Moses. You're like, what? God's going to kill Moses? Yeah. And so his fast-thinking wife grabs a flint knife, circumcises her son, takes the foreskin, touches someone's toe. Actually, in Hebrew, it's a little uncertain as to whose toe she touches with the foreskin, and says, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. And God says, oh, I love you. I love you, and goes on. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Huh, what? And I did. I asked Peter Leher, what do you mean? What is going on? Have you ever written anything? He's like, I haven't even tried to explain that. Right? Now, now, get me a, a child who's been raised in a faithful home and bring them up here and we'll talk to them about the Ten Commandments. We'll talk to them about, right? There's all kinds of things they understand. And, and they should, and it's right, and it's proper. But to think that you can, you can memorize the Ten Commandments means that you understand the whole thing is where we all go terribly, terribly wrong. The things that Jesus say, says are hard. They're hard. And you, and you do one of three things now, right? Oh, I thought there was two things. Well, as we get wiser, we realize there's actually three things you can do. You can say, well, that, that's impossible to understand and leave. Say, well, that's impossible to understand and come closer. Or you can do what most of us have been doing for years and sit there and do nothing. Everything that he says is hard. And, and, and this, is, this is now the, the warning that I'm going to give you, because he, he goes and he quotes this, this difficult passage to understand from Isaiah. Say, well, why, why are you talking like this? Why are you talking all these parables? He's like, well, you know, if I didn't, they would understand, and then they would repent and turn, and I'd have to save them. <laughs> what, what? What does that mean? Well, how, how have they been responding up to this point? Have the religious leaders, right? They want to murder him. So, okay, I've been speaking very clearly now. I've been proclaiming the gospel, and you're rejecting it. And so now what I'm going to do is, right, it was easier before. Now I'm going to speak in parables, and it's going to get a lot harder. It's going to get a lot harder to come back. It's called judgment. One of the judgments that God puts on people when they do not listen to him, when they do not obey him, is that he makes it much more difficult to do so. Now, there's all kinds of real-world examples to this. right? The guy who is a philanderer for 25 years and then becomes a Christian, right? now he has to obey God. 
Anyone who doesn't take care of his, his family is worse than an unbeliever. But he's got five kids with five women. Right? All those years, he ignored God. All those years, his mom would take him to church on Christmas, and he didn't listen to him at all, and it, it was just this big show. It got harder and harder and harder, and he got further and further away. And by the time he actually repented, what has he done? He's created a situation where it's much more difficult to obey. Many of you have done something very similar, not in this wayward life, but you've sat here for years listening to this, not really understanding it, not caring that much about it, and now, now it's, it's, you, you're kind of mystified by the simplest things. And then you find out in people's lives that they're not doing the simplest things. Spanking their kids. Loving their wife. Laying their life down for their wife. Not treating their wife like a slave. I, I know a guy who's a, right, a respectable Christian in every other sense, and, and we're just sitting there chit-chatting, and he's explaining to me how he's committing insurance fraud. <laughs> what? I, I remember, I was like, what, what did you just say? Right? And, and what's happened? He's ignored, right? He's ignored God so long that, that lying and stealing are now equal to righteousness. And, and I saw, I know, from a distance, he had gone to church for years. He never stopped going. Right? He had a Bible. I, I sat in Bible studies with him. The reason that Jesus is speaking in parables to Israel is because Israel has a hard heart, and he's now judging them. It's over for Israel. It's a dunzo deal. And, and all Jesus is doing is saving enough people on a lifeboat to start over once Israel is out of the way. Now, we do not want to be that church. Right? God did it to the nation of Israel. Wouldn't he do it to a tiny church in, in, in Linwood? To a family? Enough resistance, enough hard-heartedness, enough ignoring his word. Eventually what he's going to do is he's going to make it so you can't understand it at all. It's all going to become super mystifying to you to the point where goodness becomes wickedness and wickedness becomes goodness and you're, and you're just a mess and, and you're utterly destroyed. But, but, but we're the people of God, though. Uh, I, thought, I thought that we were his field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What kind of soil are you, though? What kind of hearer are you? One where hearing is just simply something you sit there doing passively or something that you're doing proactively, something that you're doing with zeal, something that you're doing with verve and pep, <laughs> with some life to it. In the Old Testament, when people had strayed from God and, and ignored him and didn't listen to him, he, gave, he, he helped them along with that. Oh, you, you don't want to understand what I'm telling you. You don't want to obey what I'm telling you. Well, what I'm going to do is make it impossible now. You're going to see, but you're not going to perceive. You're going to hear, but you're not going to understand. And that is what's going on to Israel. That's what's going on to Israel. Meanwhile, he's taking those who are responding to him aside and he's explaining what he really means because it's not supposed to be a secret forever. That's what we're going to find out next week. Right? He, this is why he says, you don't, right, you don't bring a lamp to hide it under the bed. You don't bring God into the world to hide him under the ground. 
You bring a light into the world to put it up on a pedestal. You bring God into the world so that he he raises up and he becomes the king of everything. This isn't going to remain a secret forever. So listen and pay attention because you're going to have to spread this message. Okay. So then you're at work and there's the unbeliever and they ask you for advice and you give the same nonsensical advice that any other unbeliever would give them because you weren't listening. You weren't paying attention. He's preparing them by explaining these things to them so that when it comes time, they can declare it to everyone. Right? God is not sitting here week in and week out to just have sort of like a, right? a catch-up conversation kind of thing. That, that horrible thing that I do to my kids now that my parents always did to me, which, oh, we're just visiting. Right? You guys ever, when you were kids, what are those parents doing in there? It looks so boring. Oh, we're visiting. And really, they're just, what, shooting the breeze. They haven't seen each other in 10 years. I remember this. You go see my grandma, and we're all sitting around, and we're not really talking about anything. We're just sort of visiting. Right? And now my kids, they come in the room, and they're like, Dad, can you play video games? No, 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 we're visiting. Right? And, you know, you can see in their face, they're like, I don't, that looks really boring. <laughs> and, and, and so many of us, now this is church. We're visiting. We're sitting around. We're not really sure what we're talking about. We're not really talking about anything too deep. But, but we're here. There's noise. You can hear audible things are actually occurring. And we're all sitting around. And there's laughs. And it's fun. But there's no substance to it. Right? How, how often do you come to church and you sit there and you visit? The word of God goes out. Right? You open it, you read it here, you come here, you hear it preached. And it's hard. The things that are taught are hard. The things that are read out of this book are hard. And you either decide they're too hard and leave, or, or they're, they're too hard and you come closer. You can't just sit there. Because God wants you to understand these things. Because a light doesn't come into the world to go under the bed. Mysteries... Right? Our, this is, it, our, our, our given to us not to remain mysteries. Right? This is not a Sherlock Holmes novel. This is God became a man. The sinless one became a sin for us. Those are mysteries. And he wants you to solve the mysteries because a light didn't come into the world to go under the bed. But we're just passively sitting around. Hearing, but not, you know, hyper hearing. And, and so, what happened to Israel in 70 AD? This is wrestle with God, get to know Him. What happened in 70 AD to Israel? Does anyone know? Some of us I know know. Some of us I know don't know. <laughs> what happened? Not, right? And, and, and they got ultimately what they wanted. They, 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 they wanted God to go away. They, wanted, they didn't want His word to change them, and it didn't. So they remained in their sin, and they perished. If you want to, re- right, if that's what you want, to not be bothered too much, to just hear but not have to obey, if you want that, just keep on doing what you're doing. But if you hear these things and it stirs your heart, you think, man, what is he talking about up there? I am I, so befuddled by what he's even describing because I thought we were all Christians. If you're confused by these things, go forward. 
go towards him and say, you know, what, what is he talking about? Open this up. Read this parable. Understand this parable. Because if you understand this parable, you'll understand all of his parables. And then you'll understand 35% of everything he said. <laughs> right? Bam. 35% of the Gospels, you got it down. Pursue him. What did Israel do with God throughout the night? He wrestled. And, and, and too many of us, stiff-limbed, apathetic, are sitting around when what we need to do is get up and go towards him and wrestle with him. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you saying what you're saying? Why are you... What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? There's still time. There's still hope. This message isn't a message for people who were just sitting there listening to Jesus in his day. It's a message for every one of you sitting in these chairs. Hear the word of God. Hear it. I can't wait to see it. In my life, in your life, in the life of this church. More hearing and less passive. Less apathy, but real hyper-hearing. Father, we thank you for your word, your hard word, and we pray, Lord God, that as we have heard it, as it has done its work on us, Lord God, that, that we know that the hand that is doing surgery on us is a merciful and loving hand. We know that you are our, our loving Father. We know that you have called us out of the world not to remain as we were. I pray, Lord God, that for all of us here, that we would not simply go through the motions, that we would not simply listen, but that we would actually hear you, that we would actually be changed by what we hear, that we would go forth and that we would seek you and wrestle with you and meditate on your word and come to understand these deep mysteries even better, that we would be ready to let our light shine. I thank you for all of these saints. I thank you for their willingness to hear these hard words. And I, and I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to convict us and comfort us as each of us need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.